0: Hey Rockheads, if you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1195, with guest Dan Wallin Recorded Friday, September 11th,
2: 2015.
0: Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for another hour of awesomeness. Dan Walleen is here. We'll be talking to him in just a few minutes about the new web dev stack. But first, Richard, my friend, uh, I have a confession to make. Oh, my. I have absolutely no small talk for the beginning of the show. (laughs) That's my confession. (laughs) That happens sometimes. So with that, let's just roll the music for Better Note of Framework. All right. (laughs) So, dude, what do you got? We'll get right into this. Every once in a while, I come across a very cool sort of geek IoT maker project that just I want to do, you know? Oh, yeah. And this is one of them. Go to tinyurl.com slash turn jacket. Turn as in T-U-R-N. Right. Making a left hand or a right hand turn. It's a turn signal biking jacket. Oh, cool. So, this is a jacket you wear while you're on your bicycle. Yep. And... Your bicycle typically doesn't have turn signals, but, you know, sometimes people stick their arms out to indicate they want to go left or right. But you know what? Unless you're in sixth grade, you don't know what those mean. (laughs) (laughs) Let's face it. So you wear this jacket and on the back is a nice little turn signal and you can turn it on and off and switch it when you're turning. And it's just cool. And it's easy to make too. It'll keep you alive. It'll keep you alive. And this is from a site called instructables.com. Love it. Yeah, it's a nice little Arduino uh, project that you and your kids can do, or or just you.
2: Yeah, I don't know that you really want it online. I don't want anybody else to be remotely changing my turn signal indicator.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I want it online either. Okay. I want to switch. Yep. Yep. This way, that way. This way, that way. This way and that way.
2: Can you do the hazard light blinkers
0: too? You know, you can do whatever you want, Richard. (laughs) (laughs) If you're Richard Campbell, you can signal to astronauts... In space, Yeah. No, I was just
2: thinking of covering your whole back in LEDs and you could spell stuff out too while you were going or make yeah, obscene gestures. like slow
0: down, idiot. Yeah. That kind of stuff. What are you trying to kill me? <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I think, you know, it'd be a good idea to have a little sign on the back of the car so I could just, you know, press a button and say a nasty. And then I thought, no, that's not a good idea at all. No, nope. it's really not a good no, idea. Not a good thing. Not good. All right, Richard, who's talking to us? Grab
2: a comment off a of show, 944 or 1 we did with Dan Willean back a little while ago, I think it was in early 2014 where we talked about Angular JS. and this is not, uh, well I wanted to read this comment just because it reminded me of smart things. This comment comes from uh, Dominic Finn who says there was a small point that I picked up on this interview that made my respect for Dan Willean go up by 20 points. I don't know what the scale is.
0: That but means he really didn't have
2: much respect for you Dan before I, you made that I, comment. I, no, that's true. Uh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> But Dominic goes on to say, when discussing frameworks, Dan mentioned that some can be up to 256K in size. He didn't name them because he wasn't certain. I like this. We need more level-headed people who don't call technologies out if they don't know the facts. Yep. So, thank you. Yeah. That's the comment. That's a great comment. And I think it's just, you know, it was just one of those reminders of, yeah, you know what? We should be sure. Yeah. Goodness knows when I'm doing the geek outs, the notes have only got longer with every geek out we do, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, I like Kevin Fax, and Dane reminded us of that, and Dominic's reminded us as well.
0: Very valuable to say when you don't know something because that means that the rest of the stuff is probably not suspect. Right. So, Dominic, thank you so much for your comment. A Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET
2: Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at or via any of the social media because we post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. You can read it there. And if you comment there and we read it
0: on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, we tweet. He's at Rich Campbell and I'm at Carl Franklin. Please send us a message. Let us know what you're thinking. And that brings us to Dan. Let me introduce him. Dan Wallin founded Wallin Consulting, which you can find at codewithdan.com. And Wallin Consulting specializes in JavaScript, Node.js, Query, Angular, and .NET Consulting, as well as on-site and online training solutions. He's a Microsoft regional director and has been awarded Microsoft's MVP and Google's GDE Award. GDE? What's
1: that? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Google Developer
0: Evangelism?
1: <laughs> Maybe, uh, Yeah, it's a uh, developer expert, they call it. Ah,
0: awesome. Dan speaks at conferences and user groups around the world and has written several books on a variety of topics. Welcome back, Mr. Dan Walline: Great to be back, guys. Great to have and you. And I'm glad
1: to hear that I went from a zero to a 20 on probably a <laughs> 100-point scale.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Maybe you went from 100 to 120 yeah we don't know oh, okay we'll, we'll pretend
2: on a 50 point scale well the important thing is that 20 point spread <laughs> there you go yeah. <laughs> this, this is a, bu- a bunch of geeks doing number games okay
1: yeah so what you up to my friend what's new well lots of new stuff uh lots of fun stuff to play with up in the cloud and uh, development wise which we'll probably get into i suspect doing a lot of docker lately which has been a lot of fun that's cool yeah cool, i'd love cool, to hear cool. about that
2: um where's angular in your life these days
1: yeah, still do a lot of Angular, still mostly, you know, the 1.0 stuff at this point, because two still in the works, right. but um, uh, in fact, I was kind of telling you guys before the show, I got to have, I, I knew Jeff, but I hadn't really met him a lot, so Jeff Cross is one of the core members of the team, and he's in Phoenix today, we did a hackathon last night, a buddy of my name, Lucas Rebelke, I think that's how you say it, sorry Lucas if I said that wrong. No problem. But uh, I just call him Lucas, so, you know. Anyway, we did a NG2 hackathon last night, and uh, Jeff came out from the team. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. So still yeah, fun awesome. doing that as well. And uh, ASP.NET uh, vNext, which I should just call 5, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's kind of 5 now. But 5, you don't realize. No, that's that vNext thing that everything is different on and everything you know is wrong.
1: Yep. Well, you know, that
0: that is something I want to talk about because it is so different. And I know a lot of people who... Who haven't gotten into it yet, and I know a lot of other people who are jumping in and having issues and stuff because it is so
1: new. What What do you think about this? What do you think about ASP.NET V next? So I love the uh, the Docker thing. We can get into later. That's I'm actually using Node.js on that project. But um, what I love about and the reason I brought up Node is ASP.NET Five, which we really did petition. A bunch of us were like, "We got to have a cool name because you know it doesn't sound new, but it's really, really new for those that are out there that haven't looked at it. You know, it's going to run on Linux and Mac and Windows, and that's pretty revolutionary for Microsoft for sure, for web anyway. So uh, what I love about it, it's very pluggable. And so although Microsoft out of the box will give you a nice kind of startup project that'll have some of the key things you need, you know, we all worry about it used to be every feature and every feature's dog was turned on by default. Yeah. with servers, And now it's like totally opposite. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do an empty project, you literally can't even render like static files without a certain middleware piece uh, being included. And so it's gonna be a, you know a little learning curve there because if you haven't done some of these others, because like, that's a very much a Node like thing. Yeah, and I'm sure Node probably borrowed that from something else as well. But I like uh, it's really modular. I mean, it was pretty modular before. Like if you didn't like how routing worked, you know, you could plug in your own, you know, routing factory controller, lookup, whatever that guy's called. And, you know, now not only can you do that, but you can even replace the pieces that serve up even static files, uh, for instance. Um, DI is very pluggable for dependency injection. And it's just, it's a whole different way of thinking about uh, applications for the web. It is a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean,
0: on the one hand, you have you You have a higher learning curve and and you get all these the the great modularity of it because you can start with nothing and just build it up but on the other hand, you know part of the part of Microsoft's heritage is to make development easy right yeah and and to to make it easy to pull up a template, start coding publish, push to the cloud done i mean what could be more wonderful than that so um I guess what I'm saying is are the, are the people who just don't want to go there, just are they, is Microsoft saying, okay, but you've got ASP.NET net four and go out, go for it. Just use it to your heart's content. This is for, you know, people who want to take more control over their environment.
1: Yeah. I mean, exactly. The, uh, for instance, web forms, you know, I still know of lots and lots of companies, um, that have, you know, what are we, what are we up to now or 2015? So what, 12, 13 years now of, uh, you know, applications built on top of web forms, and they're still building them. Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of people have moved to MVC, but I still hear, you know, we go in with companies and they're like, yeah, we're still doing web forms, which is, you know, great. Use what works. But uh, I think for them, yeah, it'd probably be a pretty big jump. You know, going to MVC alone was a pretty big jump for a lot of people. Sure. And this takes it up maybe even more of a notch. You know, out of the box, they do give you, if you create you know, their little starter template in Visual Studio 2015. You do get the initial uh, kind of website that works and it has the authentication built in and, you know, all that good stuff. So it's not like you have to totally know what you're doing. So you could kind of continue business as usual if you're an MVC person and the controllers, you know, they pretty much look and act the same overall. You, know, you can still use C-sharp everything's good there. Um, and But getting back to your point, yeah, I think, you know, I can't remember the link because it's been a while, but Microsoft actually published uh, a list of all the enhancements to ASP.NET. What would it be? Four, five, I guess. Four, five, whatever. Four, five, two, three, something. Yeah. And they've actually, you know, continued to enhance the web forms, it turns out. You know, a lot of people don't realize how much work still goes into some of that. So it's not like they're ditching it. I guess is the big message there. Um, because if you go look at the enhancements, I was surprised because I don't do web forms much now, but, you know, I go read that stuff. And uh, I was kind of like, yeah, cool. They're still working, you know, hard on that. And then, yeah, with MVC though, if you're going to move to the next version, then you'll kind of be moving to this new way of doing things. Yeah.
2: yeah. And it's one of those things where if you've made the jump, then you can keep on jumping, but lots of folks haven't made the jump.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do, I, I think, Having done a ton of Node over the last two years or so now, probably the hardest piece, and you kind of hit this um, when you guys said, you know, about the learning curve. Sure. Is the problem (laughs) is you might accidentally take out one of these middleware pieces and or someone else does and you didn't realize it. And all of a sudden, like the whole thing stops working and you're like, you know, what the heck? Um, And that's where it gets a little bit challenging, but that's just experience. And, sure. you know, then you just go back and oh, yep, I'm missing that. And it's, it's you know how it is. It's always obvious. It, I always say advanced is only advanced until you know it. Right. Yeah. And that sort of ceases to be advanced. And I think it's the same thing here. Like I'm still learning pieces of it myself. And, uh, you know, it's still being worked on. It's not out yet. Won't be what they say. Q1, I believe. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Next year of 2016, so it's, it's still changing a little bit as far as, you know, how it works. But uh, I'm pretty excited about it because like with, you know, Docker as an example, um, you know, Docker right now runs only on Linux machines because um, it uses the container uh, feature of Linux. But you probably have heard that, uh, you know, Windows, what is it, Server 2016? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, technical preview also is gonna support the concept of containers.
2: Yeah, TP3 is now out and has uh, Docker for Windows support.
1: And that's, very, for those that have not done Docker, I'm telling you, it's super cool that that's gonna come out. Because yeah. now, granted, once they get 100% off mono, which is why you know people are probably like, why is 2015 out, Visual Studio, and ASP.NET 5 is not out? Mm. Well, it's not like they did this minor little tweak this time. <laughs> It's a massive tweak, mm-hmm. and, you know, the core CLR that's basically going to be the replacement for Mono um, under the covers is that's what's going to make it run on Linux and, you know, Mac for development. And, you know, and a lot of people might say, well, why do I care? I run it on Windows, and yeah, you can still do that. But if you do want to use Docker containers with Linux machines, it's is where they're famous, you know, in that world, then you can. And yeah. if you want to wait for 2016 server, you could do that too. And, of course, Azure as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, I have a Linux container or a Linux uh, virtual machine up in uh, uh, Ubuntu. How do you say that thing, actually? Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Yeah. yeah, Ubuntu. Ubuntu, did I say it right? It depends on, I swear, it depends on the accent and who you talk to. But, right. Um, yeah, that's what I'm using now because it's, it's a Node.js app, this particular one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to be deploying it up. That's why uh, I asked you guys before we started the show, when's this show going to air? Because <laughs> 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 uh, it's not quite ready, but it's getting close. But I'll be using uh, Docker containers to do all my deployment to Azure uh, virtual machines. It's kind of funny that um, you, we, we
0: titled this the new web dev stack. And, you know, it seems like... Uh, Every month or two, there's a new web dev stack, it seems.
1: Yeah, it's actually about every two hours. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so what is what is your new web
1: dev stack, Dan Waleen? Um. So for us, it really depends. I'm still either ASP.NET MVC with C Sharp, because I still love that stack. Um, or I'm also a huge JavaScript fan, have been for back when I was the only person on the planet that liked it, I think, back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like Node.js a lot as well. Um, in fact, Node 4 just came out uh, two days ago, yes, yesterday or day before, I believe it was. So probably around September 8th timeframe, somewhere in there. And uh, it's going to add the V8 engine that runs it. It's going to have a lot of cool new ES6 features, ECMAScript yeah. 6 or ECMAScript 2015, some people call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I still use both those as kind of my core normally more of a web API mode where I'm serving up data. Um, if the app is more of a spa app, then I still like Angular. Um, this app that I'm going to be releasing, which is just for our company, it's it does have Angular in it, but only for the shopping cart piece. The rest of it's just normal web server where you hit a page and it goes back and reloads it because it's mostly read-only stuff. And so I'm one of those I always... Uh, I'd love to say I invented the term, but I think you might have heard it. Right tool for the right job? Sure. Yeah. Never heard that, right? Nope. Um yeah, I'm just a big fan of, hey, if it makes sense, use it. But so my stack depends, is I guess the answer.
0: Sure. When you're building an Angular app, on the back end do you typically go to node first or do you use uh Web API or little both? Or
1: uh it it totally depends. If um the client or person or whoever we're working with at the time is going to have to run it anywhere, then right now I'm going with Node. Um, in the near future, that's going to get complicated <laughs> since, you know, you'll be able to run MVC 6 mm-hmm. anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be more of, well, what do you guys want to maintain? You know, Do you want sure. a Node backend or do you want a C Sharp backend? And, it's good to have options, huh? Yeah, It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. And when you're running Web API, you're still running IIS, right? Uh, well, if you're on windows. Yeah. If you're in Azure though. But if you're on, you know, Linux, um, right now it's Kestrel, but I, if you, I've tuned into a few of the Damien and Scott Hanselman do, uh, these community standups every week. So when I'm able to, I like to tune in and just kind of listen to what they have to say. And, um, they're doing a bunch of perf work. It sounded like this was probably a month or two ago on, uh, I don't remember what the technology was. It was a more efficient way, though, of building a standalone, you know, server um, that I guess is going to perform very, very well because obviously they don't have IIS, but they need IIS-like performance on, like, a Linux box.
2: And when you say that, Linux people just cringe, right? I'm sure. (laughs) I I mean, I've made IIS perform very, very well, but its default configuration is not about performance, it's about... Low barrier to entry. There's a lot of stuff turned on. It Doesn't need to be turned on. It's not configured. It, the, the default configurations on IIS are one of those subtle things where it's like most of these settings are designed to make it very easy to provide tech support for this, not yeah. to make it fast.
1: Well, and I've seen some of your your guys's talks where you go into all the performance aspects. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're. I mean, I give you a real life example that you know you you get so used to that world where. Maybe it's just a minor web config, you know, update, or you can use the visual tool for IIS or whatever it may be. So I'm using uh, Nginx right now right. as a front end to kind of reverse proxy into my Node stuff, and uh, and it's awesome. It's super fast, but to get that sucker configured right was um, I don't know. I I probably will die a few year, years earlier now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But the difference in an NGINX is everything's turned off. You have to figure out what to turn on as opposed to IIS, where it's mostly just trying to turn stuff off.
1: Exactly. And, and to be fair, it, it wasn't that hard once I found this one particular post. But yeah, The one magic ingredient list. It's, you know, it's advanced until you don't know or until you know, and then it ceases to be advanced. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not that bad. But that's because I can copy and paste from what I did before. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the difference. And uh, I suspect the new server they'll have will, you know, I would guess, I don't know for sure, but probably be configurable like that.
2: Yeah, you you wanted to just turn on. But I mean, this is what nodes really taught us is that today, I think we're far more willing to provide a manifest for what we want on. I mean, this is very much that configuration as code mentality. Presume everything's off. Here is a detailed list of the bits I need on. Exactly. You know, if you don't need sessions, don't turn sessions on. Yeah, you're darn right. But I mean, and it goes way deeper than that. It's that whole pipeline. Yep. There's just so many insertion points in IIS, so much stuff that it's doing just in case you might need it that most of the time you don't need. Why are you
1: paying that overhead? Totally agree. Uh, A good example of that is um, I mentioned the static file thing with the next version of, you know, MVC 6. Yep. And, uh, you know, those of us that used IIS over the years, Unless you've really dug in, and I'm not one that would claim to be a server expert. I'm, I am I do the coding part, and I hand that off to people like, you know, Richard, I give it to you. You can figure it out. Yeah. How to make it perform well. Um, but you don't really realize that, hey, there's got to be a module in there that handles serving up static files. There is, yeah. We just assume that's built in. Now, I did happen to know that one, but, you know, a lot of people may not realize that. And so then when you move to these other worlds... You can't even serve up like a, an index.html file and you're like, what the heck is going on? You know what I mean? And it's because, oh shoot, I didn't know you had to turn that on. And everything, like you said, has to be turned on. Right. Uh, we actually, for one particular client, split static
2: resources from dynamic resources. Yep. Uh, and configuring IIS to serve only static. A, you'd be amazed how fast IIS goes when you get rid of everything related to CGI, ASP.NET, and so forth. Just serve static resources. Exactly. The corresponding thing, turning off all that stuff, mil- building a version of IIS just toom for the dynamic computation was a very different machine too.
1: I bet. Yeah. I won't claim to be an expert in that field. That's where I call you. <laughs>
2: yeah. But it's, you know, it's like, two different kinds of knives. Like, do you want the Swiss Army knife with all the blades in it? Or did you want a razor and a machete? They're yeah. both really good
1: knives for particular jobs. But when you try and stick them together, it's dumb. It, it, it totally makes sense. Like you said, what I'm doing now is Engine uh, X is not only forwards the calls to the backend. Uh, I have multiple node processes running, but uh, it also does exactly what you said. I, I, you can configure it where it knows where the static resources are, so if a static resource comes in, that's an HTML, CSS, you know, image stuff like that. Right. It doesn't even touch Node or ASP.NET or whatever. It just handles the request and then you're done. Right. And that's why it is always considered to be such a high performance, you know, front end kind of piece. Because if you break that out, like you just said, um, it's pretty amazing how good performance gets. Because you don't, like you say, you don't have to run through all that CGI, blah blah blah, behind the scenes stuff.
2: And it's sort of this philosophy of don't go down a pipeline of are you this, are you that? are you this?" It's like you're now routing, and so mm-hmm. there are separate execution stacks for each destination point, yeah,
1: and they're all optimized and they're
2: and they're tuned for that, and they can be distributed for that you know yep. that that turned out to be a better way to go. It's like I can actually run a separate vM that specializes in starting static static resources,
1: yep, exactly. Yeah, I'm seeing more and more companies, too. Um, there's kind of even a third option. I've been hearing some big companies do. I haven't really done this, but they'll, you know, CDN would be the third option. Yep. Um, and so they'll put some of their static, like their CSS, uh, JavaScript files, those type of things, up in maybe a CDN that they can control, obviously. Mm-hmm. Then the other static resources that aren't necessarily scripts or CSS would be just the front-end engine, whatever that is, serves those. Then you have the third, which is the uh, dynamic stuff. yeah so the downside of all this of course is now the complexity of getting this all set up goes up a bit but you know once you get configured once you know what to do
2: <laughs> it's, and again, it's, this is a scalability problem once you have it's all well and fine to run it in one machine until you finally get busy then it's like well what do we need to split out? One of the things I write, like about this routing mentality is sure all routes lead to the same server right now. But once we hit certain points of load, it's very easy for us to carve off the workload. Like You look at the hoops we used to jump through to use CDNs for static resources, where you literally had, you were sniffing pages on the fly and rewriting URLs to redirect them to collect static resources and direct them to a CDN resource. But if you're routing, now it's literally, I modify the route to point to the CDN. Thanks. Yep done done right don't have to think about it again which means i don't wait i don't add that complexity i don't have that debugging problem it's just a much more coherent way to organize pages for performance
1: so uh real quick uh guys uh i have a new thing that you have to turn off apparently when you're doing podcasts what's that uh cortana (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually on, I am I'm, I run Parallels. I'm on a Mac right now and I run Parallels with Windows 10. Right. And you must have said something, Carl, because all of a sudden Cortana popped up I'm like, no, 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 no. So I'm trying to cancel it real quick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had the same problem with Siri. Uh, I was uh, traveling with my daughter who's 13 and she turned on, she just took my phone, you know, she's sitting in the front seat. She picks up my phone and she turns on Siri so that it. you don't need to say, Hey, Siri, you don't need to push the button or whatever, right? Apparently, if you say anything remotely resembling, hey, Siri.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It works. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I'm listening to the radio and Siri's having a conversation with the radio. I love it. (laughs) Awesome. What I would like to see is if you could get Siri and Cortana to have a conversation with
1: each other. Ah. Now that would be kind of funny, actually. Get like an iPhone talking to a Windows 10 device, and we're talking see what about happens. a
0: viral YouTube video here, guys. <laughs> that would
1: be totally viral. Forward.
2: I think you'd literally have to. You just have to break the ice with the first statement, right? And then what?
1: Yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry to sidetrack us, but I don't know what you said, but I thought it was. What do you say? Hey Cortana, I think is what you say. So. Oh, shoot. I shouldn't say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Take it back. Take it back, You know what I like is if you say please at the end of, you know, a yes or no question, yes, please, she'll say, please answer yes or no. It's like- Oh, really? You just have to have no manners. Yeah. (laughs) No manners allowed. Yeah.
2: Nice. Anyway. So I'm still trying to get my feel around for what this whole stack looks like. I mean, not Angular is certainly an optional piece of it, but this being able to do development without Windows on the back end, and part of it is just being able to get into all these other options like containers. Yeah. Is it, was the container the driver for you? There's other things in the Linux machines that made you happy.
1: No, um, so. Fear is a really good motivator. Fear. (laughs) And, uh, I'll admit I'm, you know, I've been working on Windows for years and years and years and years, and I'm very comfortable with IIS. Again, I won't consider myself a performance expert in IIS. I know, I know the people for that. Sure. But I am very comfortable in development and I can get it set up and I know how to, you know, all that. I've hit all those major issues you hit with security and things like that. So moving, I have not done a lot of, uh, Linux though. And so I'd say maybe three months ago, I started looking into what, how am I going to host this site? And so I considered the normal web app route, but then I looked at some of the hosting, um, the, uh, what do they call the uh, little third party provider library in Azure, you know, mm-hmm. for some of the MongoDB stuff. And I was like, Ooh, it kind of jumps from like zero to much more than zero yeah. in pretty fast. And so I, you know, I really didn't want to do my own Mongo instance per se, but I'm like, uh, I think it's just going to be in the long run. I think it might be easier for me to just maintain it. Now my next step is I got to, I'm really digging into uh, the whole backup scenario, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. So I got looking at it and I said, you know, it would be kind of cool, just just for fun to play around with uh, Linux box as a server, just, just to see. Because everybody, I, I kept hearing about Nginx and how high performance it was. How you could put that out, out in front of your node instances, just register those instances and, you know, boom, it'll, you can do round robin or whatever you want to do, um, with the, uh, calls I make to the back server, backend servers. And so I, at first I was kind of playing with it, but I'll admit I was like, uh, I don't know Linux. So I don't want to like install Apache or whatever my server is going to be or in, you know, Nginx or whatever. So I started looking at, uh, uh Docker. And, you know, it's kind of weird because normally IT stuff like that, uh, and I call that IT stuff. Um, nice. You know, it's not really dev per se. Yeah, it's, it's it infrastructure. Is, as, as we'll talk about, it is. Yeah. Um, and so I started looking at Docker and it's one of the. it's kind of weird. It's, it's the only like what I'll call IT, at least I viewed it as IT at the time, technology, where I was like, there's something with this. Like, this looks kind of interesting, you know? And so I kept digging in and I I have my, uh, I have an iPad by my bed. So I, you know, I try to go to bed at a normal hour, but then I'll read for like another hour, which they say is horrible for you. Yeah, right. I read, I read a lot. So I'll lay there in bed at like one in the morning reading. My wife's still up running or something. She likes to exercise a lot. And, uh, and at one in the morning, no joke, by the way, Mm -hmm. could be on like the treadmill in our room running. So I couldn't sleep anyway, but um, I'm reading about Docker and I'm going, man, this is kind of cool because let's let's go through a scenario here. So, all right, Carl, you we are now on the same team, me, you, Richard. Yep. I just released a code base. Um, let's say, Carl, you're going to do the Angular piece and Richard, you're going to do either the ASP.NET piece or the uh, Node piece, Okay. You know, whatever. But you guys need some type of database server. You need some type of caching server could be Redis or something else, yep. and the list goes on, right? So now, Carl, you get it all set up. You're having problems configuring the node piece though, because that's not your expertise, we're going to pretend, or the ASP.NET piece. And, okay. Um, we'll say that you got your piece going, Richard, but uh, you know the database piece, you're having a problem connecting to it on your local machine. Maybe the firewall's turned on still or something. Right. And so I think everybody's hit this, right? Where it's like, just to get this one stupid app going, just so you can do like front-end work, Carl, you got to jump through all these hoops that you don't even know about. Right. Like you don't know how to, well, you might, but I'll pretend you don't know how to configure, you know, Redis or Mongo or SQL Server.
0: I've run up against it all the
1: time. We all do. Yeah, just getting to where the point everybody can check stuff in. Exactly. So what Docker, for those that haven't uh, done it, allows you to do is... You know, right now it's only for Linux, but as we discussed earlier, it's going to be for Windows as well, which is where I got pretty excited about it. Um, because now, you know, you won't be able to run the same container, it turns out, because it's just different worlds. You know, you have to use the Linux kernel and the Windows one. And so it's not like I can just have one container. Uh, and you can think of a container, if anyone has not seen Docker, what is it, Docker.com, I think it is. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, they have a little whale, it's a genius image, hmm. with those shipping containers on it. Um, and, you know, shipping has been revolutionized by containerizing everything because now nobody worries about the size of things. As long as it fits in the container, it just works. Right. So what Docker does is the same thing. So now instead of saying, okay, Carl, read this 10-page document on setting up an environment and, you know, you spend a day or two or whatever. Uh, and same for you, Richard. Now I instead walk you through a one-time setup of the, what's called the Docker tools. And that's going to give you into some things like their, their command line, at least right now, uh, Docker Machine, Docker Compose, and just Docker. Those are the three biggies that you need to know about. And what you can do now is I'll just give you a couple commands to run. And literally within, it depends on how big these containers are. Containers, by the way, we should probably clarify, they're not virtual machines. They literally sit on top of the core virtual machine OS. Yeah. So whereas a virtual machine, I watched a YouTube video on this, and if it's on YouTube, it's got to be true. Uh, <laughs> but they were saying like this company, it's somewhere in the UK, specializes in this. And like the average VM startup time was, I, I think it was three to four minutes mm-hmm. to totally get, you know, where it's completely functional. Whereas a container, it's like less than four seconds.
0: Right. Yeah. I like to say that a container has the configurability of an operating system. Yep. But the uh lightweightness of a process.
1: There you go. That's a good I like that. That's a good I might have to steal that one. Please do. Is this gonna be recorded? Yeah, I've <laughs> said that before on the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um that's that's exactly what it is. So long story short, I now give you guys a little Docker script you can run. You run a command. Um in this case it'll be docker compose more than likely which allows us to run multiple containers and orchestrate them. So we'd have a container for maybe Redis, a container for Mongo, a container for ASP.net. I mean maybe maybe there's even a fourth which is Node and some others, you know. And so you run this one command, um there'll be a way that you can even link your source code into the containers so that when you, when you make changes obviously you want to see them. And literally in, we'll we'll just shoot out less than 10 minutes because I know you can download it unless you're on your phone that fast. Yeah. Literally, you now have the production environment or the staging environment or whatever you're using on your machine. And it's exactly, the container part anyway, is exactly what it's going to be like in production. So the beauty of this is not only from a development standpoint and a developer standpoint, you can get stuff fired up quick. I can get Mongo going. Um, literally, I just need to get the Docker command. And uh, I can you know, basically do a, a Docker pull if I want or Docker run, which will download the container on the fly. And it will uh, download that guy, start it up, and now I can just hit it as if I installed MongoDB locally. Nice. Which is awesome. Now, currently... I don't know how Windows 10 is going to do it, if they'll ever have a piece that adds on, but I, it sounds like, because on Mac, for instance, you have to run, uh, you run VirtualBox. Yeah. And that actually runs your Linux VM, and then the containers run in there. So I'm like, guessing, although I don't, maybe you guys know more on this than I do, I haven't heard for sure, but I'm guessing there's also going to be like a Hyper-V or something on Windows 10 that Load the server. I do run right as radio. So I've already had the
2: server team on talking about Docker. Nice. So two species of containers. There's a Windows container and there's a Hyper V container. Yep. And you know, the goal here is to have the, the, you, re, you really want to have, you know, one OS, multiple containers all getting along with each other, right? It's, you know, it's this collection of stuff. But because you're sharing an OS, there's a potential for a vulnerability. There's lots of exactly. security around that, but it's a risk. So by having the reason they made two is your your Windows container is the fast, lightweight version for your known code. That's the one you want to use. And the Hyper-V container is the high security one. Yep. And it's it's not, it, it, it consumes more resources and it's got more contention, but it's got more protections too. So when it's foreign code you're not so sure about, you run a Hyper-V container.
1: And that's exactly how I how I've learned it is. Yeah, if you you know if it's if every app on there is your company's, yep, yeah. you're probably not as worried, and you can use the lightweight containers. But yeah, now you start mixing third party stuff, and you know you don't want somebody hijacking all the CPU or something.
2: But configuration wise, it's just a setting one way or the other. If you want to hop between them, not a big deal. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again.
0: Yeah, it's time to ask Siri what Cortana said about Angular when Dan accidentally left her on. (laughs) (laughs) That hussy. I know. Those two, you just can't trust them. It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial of tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. All
2: right, buddy. Who's our winner?
0: Today's winner is Meredith Eaststone. Congratulations, Meredith. Golf clap for you, ma'am. Golf clap for you, ma'am. Indeed. And Meredith just won the Telerik DevCraft collection from Telerik. A big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to Click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks Fan Club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And, uh, we, of course, we'd like to ask our guest, Dan, if you had five grand to spend on technology right now, what would you be buying?
1: Hmm... Um, you know, I'm just a simple person. I'm pretty content right now, but, um, I would put that 5,000 into a separate add-on. It wouldn't, this it wouldn't cover it all. Can I, can I add on my own money? Yeah, sure, of course. I put it into a separate add-on because I want to be like Carl and eventually have my own little recording studio. Ooh. Oh my. But 5,000, as you know, Carl's not going to cut it, get me too far. So yeah. Um, but you know, it's a start. It's a start. That might buy the fiberglass. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, uh, I should have thought I'd give this more thought because I should know you would ask by
0: now. Here's some great things to do with five thousand dollars. Get uh, outfit your your kids' school with all LED lights. There you go. That's okay. I would not have thought of that one. That would be a good thing to do with five grand. <laughs> Although yeah. it probably costs more than five grand. Probably. Probably. Think about it. They're, they're in stuck in fluorescent lights. Yeah. We got to get rid of those.
1: We'll go ahead and uh, I'll, just, I'll just find some good uh, startup thing with kids learning programming. We'll just, we'll donate it this there time. There you go. So I can't think of anything good, so we might as well just donate it. Good one. There you go.
2: So we sort of got the picture of why Docker's awesome. What does the development cycle look like? So build your code, get to a point where you're happy with it, go to testing, go to deploy.
1: Yeah, so I am doing exactly what you just said. Um, I kind of, if I would just want to get my code working, I'd rather just get that working working. I don't want to be dealing with other variables. Um, So I'll just get it working locally on the machine because with like ASP.NET or Node, that's easy to do. Yep. But when you do that in a container? um, It depends. If I'm just starting out, probably not. Um, okay. I think it's easier just to have that. You know, if it's NotarySP.net, it's easy to get that in our machine. Sure. I'm going to have that anyway. Um, when I start though needing, I don't know, Postgres or Mongo or, or, or Server, mm. you name it. Well, now number one, I start to question: Do I really want that on my machine? Like, because right. mm-hmm. you know, who knows what files all that stuff adds? And that's where a container is pretty awesome. And are you using a different container for each one of those services? So there's a Redis container and a
2: Postgres container and so on?
1: Totally, yeah. Um, Originally, when I, you know how you you start out and you don't know what you don't know, and I'm still learning because I've only been doing it about well, three months I started researching it maybe two months of actually using it for real. Hmm. Um, So I still got a lot to learn, I'm positive. But uh, yeah, when I first started out, I was like, why would not you just put everything on the same container? And then you know, I keep reading and learning more and more and um it's definitely a better practice to have each container have its own f- piece because number one, the size of the container is going to be much smaller. Mm-hmm. So it's faster to deploy. And number two, you do get some isolation there. So it's kind of like a sandbox. Right.
0: Same reason we used to do that in the physical world, you know, separate the database yeah. server from the caching server, from the
1: whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh number three, now they didn't, they had something before, but now officially, it's still officially as of today in beta. But it's this uh, Docker Compose, it's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just nothing more than an orchestration. You right. write a YAML file, put in all I need node 1, node 2, node 3, or ASP.NET 1, ASP.NET 2, ASP.NET 3, uh, Redis, uh, SQL, or Mongo, or whatever. And you, you basically list out all your uh, your Docker Containers,
2: mm, yep,
1: and each container has its own Docker file, and the probably the most intimidating part of it for me was the Docker file is it does tend to have some uh, Linux commands in it, which if you're a if you're already a Unix guru, you're probably right at home, you know, and you're like, oh, no big deal. I, I used to do this back in whatever. Uh, given that I didn't come from that background of being like a Linux or a Unix guru, I mean, I had done it. Like I know what, a, I know how to change security, for instance, on a file. That was mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> um, they were pretty intimidating at first, but it's just like anything, it's just practice. And now I'm not so scared of them. Um, you know, I, I know how to do like an apt get, I know what that is now, woo uh, to download, <laughs> yeah. you know, Mongo and stuff like that. So. Anyway, um, yeah, so you, you basically orchestrate. So like I have, I'm looking at I just pulled it up. I got uh, Dockerfile Mongo, Dockerfile uh, Nginx, Dockerfile Node, and Dockerfile Redis. Oh, and see. the problem is if you do those individually, you have to run like four or five, whatever I said, commands to get those up. And that's kind of painful. And then you'd have to write code to link them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you don't write code, you, you do it through the command line. There's a link switch so instead docker compose lets you write this yaml file i mentioned and uh, this is where you basically list all your containers and then it you just say docker compose space up and you give it the compose file and boom Mm -hmm. it fires all your containers up Mm -hmm. and i have like a whole production environment like i don't have it up right now as far as the uh you know the mongo the nginx and all that and i bet you i could fire it up in I don't know, maybe if the VM was running in less than 15 seconds, probably. Nice.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I I mean, there's pieces of this that I find really interesting. Like, yeah, right off the bat, getting to a working dev environment. Well, here here are a bunch of containers already good to go. So those are your local copies of the services. You don't have to worry about them. And you don't have to, like I said, pollute
0: them with your machine with them. They're in in a can that won't hurt you. So I remember talking to Mark Rendell about this because he had a really amazing automated development deployment system um asp net linux this was show 1162 uh july 8th 2015 i believe that was from uh from ndc and uh, and he was using to oh yeah he was using docker compose absolutely and webstorm cool uh cinnamon desktop yeah
2: and it was that was talking about his new sort of new uh, developing on linux kind of mindset
1: right yeah, it's, um, it's been an eye-opener for me because I've always, and I think most of us have, had to pull down everything manually. Yeah. And, and, you know, for instance, now if, if my machine crashed, let's just say right before, well, let's say I have like at least 30 minutes before yep. a presentation, I literally could go to one of you guys and say, hey, guys, can I borrow your laptop real quick? All, All right. I got to install is, is Docker, uh, uh, the Docker tools which is really fast to install, other than you have to get VirtualBox for Mac anyway. But um, I literally could be like, okay, cool, I'm I'm good now. Yeah, we're good to go, because you just fire up those. And that's why I sort
2: of question you on the whole, when you're starting a dev project, don't you want that to be in a Docker container? Because it's not a big deal to you, but when you go to pass it to testing, the fact that your app is also in a container, so that they just treat all of those pieces as containers for testing, I think
1: it's very powerful. Oh, yeah. And I should clarify what I meant. What if, what I said was if I'm like prototyping something, right, just starting up, yeah, I'm just gonna do it probably locally. But Oh, I totally agree. If you're on a team, for instance, and you've got a lot of developers on there, or maybe only a few, it doesn't really matter. Exactly what you said, Carl comes into play, because now, um, whoever's the team lead or, you know, runs the team gives me the command to run, and boom, I'm ready to go. I don't have to waste time. With all
0: these containers and tools and things that you load up, do you ever run into licensing problems where the licensing sort of gets in the way of you sharing your projects or servers or whatever?
1: With the stuff I'm using here, no, because everything I listed was open source. Yeah. Um, Now, obviously, once you get into, say, you know, SQL server, obviously Microsoft's going to have to have a, I don't know, I'm sure they'll have a time bomb or something. Like maybe they'll have a container up there in the Docker hub. Yeah, that yeah. you can get a SQL Server for Windows containers. Um, but I would guess it'll be a, I don't know, a trial or something.
0: Yeah, that's one of the benefits of open source. I mean, you know, everybody's likes to be paid for their work, and I don't mind paying people for their work at all. But, you know, the, when the license becomes prohibitive for you to just, you know, let other people in on it and, and get groups going and teams, then it just becomes more of an annoyance than,
1: than anything else. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you there. They, um, I asked in one of the, in the community standup I mentioned for ASP.NET. I, well, I didn't ask, but they have a little chat thing. You can talk to Scott and Damien and stuff. And that was actually my question was, Hey, are you guys going to have a a Docker image for, you know, Linux? And I'm sure they'll also do it, obviously for Windows, because instead of having to even run through the setup process on a, you know, a Linux or a Mac box, you could just pull down their container and. As fast as you can download and boom, you're ready to go. And that's what we wanted with VMs in the first place, wasn't it? Yep. Totally. They just got too big. They just got big and slow. Yeah, and that's the problem. I mean, well, I mean, how how big is it to download, you know, a Windows VM or a Ubuntu Ubuntu or whatever you say it? I still never say it right. But yeah, Ubuntu. Ubuntu, that's it. Ubuntu. Um, you know, how big of a download is that? And I don't know the answer. I know it's pretty big though, because when I first pulled the images, you base your Docker images on a base image. And so now Ubuntu, did I say it right? Yeah. Um, it uh is now on my machine cached. And so now when I build like a new node image or it could be an ASP.net image that runs on Linux, I already have that cached locally. And um it's not even the whole VM, by the way, it's just the container. Um but they could even the containers, I mean I, I think the the node one was, if you get the default off-the-shelf node one, which I don't use, I made my own Docker file for that, but I think it's like 600 meg, something like that. So it's still not teeny, but it's way faster than a VM, you know? Absolutely.
2: And and it, the bigger thing here is just this idea that doesn't matter where you go, it's the same, right? That yeah. It, now you take it up to production, like you're not re-engineering things. The real challenge then is sort of the discipline of configuration and one of the things I like about Docker, and this is a part of the conversation I had with the Windows guys, right? Virtualization existed before configuration is code. And so we're sort of retrofitting in PowerShell and all of this tooling to set up VMs the right way. Docker's got that mindset from the very outset. There's there's nothing in there. You have to set it up piece by piece yourself. Uh, and so you have this configuration file. It's the truth. This is everything you've got. Yeah. Cause one exactly. of the things I've run into, I don't know if you've ever dealt with this at scale is we actually use the Azure tools. There's, there's a, 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 a tools for, for building VMs on demand. So yep. operations would actually set up the VMs for developers to build against a web server. So here's a web server template based on what the web server looks like in production. And so you use that. Now the dev can't change it. Essentially they've got to ask ops for the changes they want to add a new library or anything like that so that there's more control over that and it, i'm looking at it it was a it was a rigorous process but it made high quality software it just meant there was a lot more conversation and one would argue they had to move slowly with docker if you want to add a library go for it it's easy to do it's just in the config file set the you, you rerun the docker the the docker container and you've got the new library in it but i'm gonna know as an ops guy i just compare the files Right, I can see yep. version changes, additional libraries, everything. It's absolutely apparent to me.
1: Yeah, everything gets tagged. It's easy to roll back. Yep. Uh, because if you're on a v2 tag and you want to, we had a problem we didn't anticipate that we didn't catch. I can roll back to v, you know, one five or whatever.
0: Um, Richard, what's the status of App V on Windows ten? App V five, I guess, is the latest. Well, that's a whole other can of worms, well, I, holy I, man. I know,
2: it, it, but it is related though. Well, it's getting into this, you know what we're walking towards, and this is straight speculation, is every app runs in a container on your machine. Right. Right? Like, why wouldn't it? Because it's a a security barrier, really. Right? It just, there's no, you know, we've always laughed about Windows, you know, it's software's like fatty food and eventually your computer needs an angioplasty. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But we've got so True. much memory. That's only because we tried to
0: share stuff. I mean, sharing apparently is bad. Sharing is bad. It was necessary <laughs> when we had one meg of RAM. Yes. <laughs> limited disk space, limited
2: memory, and so forth. We just don't have those limits anymore, yeah. and instability is bad. So uh, this idea that just everything, you know, I think AppV is headed towards, everything runs in a container.
0: I totally agree. And if you th- look at the way uh, Microsoft implemented these windows 10 apps that run on the desktop, they run in a, in a container, but I don't yeah. know if they're using app V, which is actually a product, isn't it? Well, it's, I mean,
2: it's, it's a term as well, just to make it more complicated. It's like they did, they had a couple of different things they labeled as application virtualization, Yeah, but you know, it's never obvious with Microsoft. Right. And, and I think a lot of this is just, you know, uh, there's an overall strategy about virtualizing apps, period. There's the idea of the virtual desktop, so your machine is not even a computer anymore. yeah you're calling to a server, like think the old terminal services, but a little more intelligent than that. Mm-hmm. but i yeah, I knew I just get a sense where you're going with this is why aren't we just using containers for everything? Right. Sure. I think we will that's not yet today.
0: All right, well, guys, I got to go play Sudoku on Ubuntu while watching Zubumafu, so we got to get out of here. (laughs) Good one. Nice. Uh, Dan, where are you going to be next?
1: Uh, Where am I going next? Amsterdam, I think, for uh, Dev Intersection Europe. Right. right. Our first go at Europe. That'll be fun. It's going
2: to be a smaller show, but first time out there, so we'll have some fun with that. And then two weeks later.
1: Yeah,
0: then Vegas. Vegas. And that's huge already. And are you going to the MVP summit too?
1: Yeah, at this point I am. Um, it's kind of that, that week is one of those where I always reserve it yeah. unless yeah. a client that I absolutely can't say no to <laughs> yeah. says we got to have you that week. And then I unreserve it quickly. Uh, that but, happened right. to me last time. And I spent
0: the whole entire uh, summit in my hotel room working for a client. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's not happening yeah. this year or ever again <laughs> not for that matter. Happen. Yeah. Yeah, but
2: I've I'm with you, Dan. I've had customers that were that paid me drop what you're doing and come here money.
1: Yeah. Where you're like, No, I'm gonna have to go. Yeah, so, bye yeah, <laughs> bye. I think we have seen you guys, but I gotta go.
2: I think Carl remembers that. I it do. Went, early when we were working together, I think we were in Amsterdam yeah. and one of my customers called and it was one of those customers that paid me on retainer for the drop anything I come here right now. Yeah. And it was literally they called and I and I just sort of had to tell the organizer, I'm really sorry, I'm leaving right now yep and packed packed up my stuff flew i uh, took the train back to to Skippole, and literally got on the next Screw airplane.
0: you guys
2: uh, i wasn't going <laughs> home i was going to work i'm going to work but Come it's like i have a price yeah that's well right.
1: my, it, it all comes down to uh the the boss if you know what i mean because if the yeah. boss hears that i turned down one of those deals yeah so oh yes she knows that's, where you sleep. Yeah. yeah there will be consequences. Yeah, there'll be repercussions. <laughs> well,
2: you know, for a long time, I was in the critical path of a bunch of companies, uh, disaster response and operational systems. And so, you know, part of that responsibility was a, you need to be here right now. And uh, it was a, it was certainly a lifestyle. It paid well, and it was interesting work. But cool. uh, sometimes you had to really disappoint people.
0: All right, Dan, we'll catch you at uh, one of those places. I'll see you in Vegas anyway, but we'll talk to you again on .NET Rocks sometime soon.
1: All right, thanks for having me again, guys. Catch You you later.
0: Awesome, Dan. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.